The scripture for this morning comes from Psalms 51, starting in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence, do not, and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels, and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not require a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you would guide um, this conversation and, and this dive into the life of David. Father, speak clarity where my words speak confusion or just fall short, Father. I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct. Amen. So once again, welcome to Resurrection Global Methodist Church. Um, we, I think I'm trying to say this every week because I just like it. Uh, we're glad you, if you're visiting or you're new here, we're so glad that you're here. Um, and it's not because we think we're that great. It's just we really love being the body of Christ, and that doesn't happen unless people come together. So if you're here, then we're excited about it. And so um, we have been in this series. This is our third week um, of this series called The, the Arcs, looking at the matriarchs and patriarchs of our faith. And in, in this series, we have been very intentional to ask the question, what does this story about this matriarch or patriarch, what does it tell me about God? The first week, we looked at the life of Abraham, and, and we, we landed at this place where we discovered that God's favor is unmerited. You can't earn it. can't qualify for it. You don't have to, to perform everything perfectly in order to, to live in alignment with God's favor. Week two, we looked, last week we looked at Ruth and we discovered that God is honored as we honor others. And then we looked a little further into how does this work in the biological family and then our spiritual family? As what does honor look like? What is that, like, what does that perform? Like God, how does God move in that? Not only as, as my biological family, um, as I honor them and they, you know, we, there's those pieces that we get, but how much that really does play into the family of faith. So this week, we are going to take a look at the life of David. David is mentioned over 1,100 times in Scripture. David is one of the first and most often repeated um, sagas and stories of David and the Goliath. The Goliath. David and Goliath. <laughs> that you, you hear as a kid. And it's this beautiful tale of how God calls and equips this unqualified, too small, too puny, not going to be able to cut it, to face the giant, to face the, the, the Everest that, just, that could not be defeated, and how God uses the skill set of the, the kid who's too small and not qualified 
and not equipped, doesn't have the right tools, doesn't have the right swords. Like, and, we hear, and we hear that over and over and over again. And so when you come across verses um, or a pastor that would say, David was a man after God's own heart, typically we don't have a problem with it. But we're going to go through some cliff notes of David's life. And we're going to stop in one major cul-de-sac. And I think we're going to have to ask some questions about this qualification of David being a man after God's own heart. Because it is not a given if you dig into the story of David. So, it is not something I'm making up. It's not a euphemism. It's not, it's not like when we say, oh, he's, he's just got such a good heart. That is not what this phrase, David, is a man after God's own heart. That's not what it means. It is actually a, a very powerful uh, marker of distinction. It is, it is marking David as, as wholly unique in, in his engagement with Yahweh that of his time, and then even if you look, because the, the, the references from Acts, so even past his time, David was a man after God's own heart in a way that was very, very unique. And sometimes we can just, because we're Texans and we, we like to just say, oh, he's just got such a good heart. He's such a sweetie. That is not what this phrase means. If you turn to Acts 13, verse 21, Paul is speaking uh, in Antioch and he's doing, he's recounting history. It's like he's reminding um, the people he's speaking to about what has taken place. And he gets to this section in verse 21. And he says, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Now, that passage in, in Acts 13 is referencing 1 Samuel 13, where when uh, the debate of who is Saul's successor, and, and, and Samuel says, no, God has selected the individual, and it is a man who is a man after God's own heart. And then we obviously know that that's David who's anointed, and that's a distinction that's given to him. So again, not a generic descriptor. Not um, a light statement, a very powerful statement to say this individual uh, is, is, is intent and holy after what pleases and what is good and what is right in God's eyes. So here's the cliff notes. You ready? Because they're very cliff. <laughs> very short. David is born around 1040, 1041 BC. He's born the youngest of eight. He's anointed king by Samuel, and that happens in 1 Samuel 16. David kills Goliath, as we mentioned previously, and defeats the whole Philistine army. Kind of has his moment. 1 Samuel 17. Then he becomes king of Judah at 30 years old, 2 Samuel 2. Then he becomes king of Israel and Judah, at 37, 38 years old, and that's 2 Samuel 5, David plans for the construction, again, plans for the construction of the temple, like the place that's going to house God. He gets entrusted with that process. He doesn't build it. 
but he designs it and prepares, has all of the raw materials put together for it. That happens in 2 Samuel 7. And then he commits to adultery, murder, and theft, and slander uh, in 2 Samuel 11. Amen. I mean, just take take off the the f- maybe you maybe you're one of these people who's heard the David saga 400 times, and that's being polite. It might be more than that. Take off that lens. Take off that previous conceived notion where you know the end of the story, right? You know that God causes all things to work together for good. It's like this guy is hammering away and he's anointed and he's calling and he's moving and he's, he's churning and he's going and then he murders a dude and sleeps with his wife and like hides from it and tries to cover it up. And I mean, just what? This is man after God's own heart, by the way. So I'm going to give you a little cliff notes of this, this encounter with Bathsheba, who is the woman that David um, sees on the rooftop, lusts after, ends up, this whole saga happens. But David should have been leading his army. I pr- preached a sermon on that one time. Um, bad things typically take place whenever we're not where God has put, placed us and called us to be. So in that passage, it says, uh, in the time when kings would go to war, David's army went and he stayed home. But that's a different sermon. So when David should have been leaving his army, he sees Bathsheba bathing on the roof. He is so enticed by her that he sets up all of the the pieces in place so he he sleeps with her. And she becomes pregnant. Well, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, is is all fighting for David. And, And so David goes through step after step after step after step to try to get Uriah home, to try to get him to sleep with his wife so that maybe this, you know, pregnancy could not look like his sin. That doesn't work. So he sends Uriah to the front of the line where he knows and, and commands the army to go just head first into the enemy uh, fortress, the city walls there, knowing Uriah is going to be killed. And Uriah gets killed. So then he marries Bathsheba. And it is not until a prophet comes and sets David up and exposes his sin that David hits this moment. It's like there was no check anywhere. Boom, 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 boom. All this stuff, the lie is compounding. It's building on itself. This thing is really getting a little chaotic. No check. He's just going. And it's not until he's almost tricked into it that the prophet Nathan points out and he sees, what have I done? What is this? Now, I don't know about you. I identify with this. I'm three quarters of the way down the road in the wrong direction. So many times before God sends somebody or the Holy Spirit just gives that prompting and I'm like, whoa, this was not smart. This was sin. This just, like, I get that. But this is a man after God's own heart. So how can an adulterous murderer be known as a man after God's own heart? We can't ask the question about what does it say about God until we get a little bit of something there. 
Because he's disqualified, you guys. Straight up. He's disqualified. Done. Outskis. No mas. And yet he's a man after God's own heart. Let's read this passage again from Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is actually David's prayer of repentance after this sin is exposed. This prayer is not just some generic prayer of David in the Psalms. It, 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 is, it is his response to the moment that Nathan says, you're the one. You're the one. Let's read it again, starting in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want burnt offerings. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O oh God. We begin to get a picture of maybe what, what in this prayer is unique or a, a point of strength for David. And you can obviously see you created me a clean heart. Don't banish me from your presence. It's this longing. And you, you, you David, David, the, the warrior poet himself, crafting this artful prayer that is trying to express the depravity he feels in the awareness of what he's done. And he all of a sudden is, is, is aware of how far he has been separated from the heart of God. He just woke, it's like he woke up one day and the light switch came on and he realized he's in a different country than he thought he was in. He's in a completely different proximity than where he believed he was based off of who he thought he was. But this piece in, in verses 16 and 17 sticks out to me because it begins to talk specifically about what is God's heart in this process. Yes, David's heart is broken, but it's like you desire this. You desire this broken spirit. So it begins to unpeel a little piece of who God is that might give us a little bit of alignment. And so as I read it, I read verse 16 and I said, he, 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 was, he was the king of Israel. He had Full right and privilege. He knew the law. He could have just as easily gotten the best burnt offering sacrifice that was equivalent to the sin he had accomplished and run the ritual and run the routine. That could have been his response. Except some things cut so deep in us that we know A standard rubber stamp response is not what the Lord is asking for me here. Sometimes for us today, what this would look like is a church service. You might have said it because I've said it. When you're going through a really hard time, man, I, I need to get to church. 
And that's good. Like, but there's a whole up. This, if this story is telling us anything, that might not be what God is actually driving you towards. Or go to Bible study, go to a prayer group, serve those in need. How many times have I served someone in need to assuage the guilt and the separation from God that I feel? I don't want to admit it. It's like I'm not happy in this moment, but I've done it. I've gone to mission trips to Mexico because I knew that I was living a double life and I was trying to get a little bit of juju back, get a little feel-good back. Donating money, playing in the worship band, teaching in kids' ministry, all these things that can just be the tradition and the form and the function that, that, that are not bad in and of themselves, but when we find ourselves face-to-face with our sin and our separation from the Lord, it is not what He's calling you to. It's not what he's calling me to. It's not what he's calling us to. You do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. And then in 17, it says, this is what you do desire. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Sometimes that's it. Actually, I would say all the time that's it. Let's start there. Let's, let's, start, let's start with this idea that without repentance, I'm, I'm, I'm guaranteed to, to, to miss what God is trying to correct and, and, and shape and mold inside of me. Hosea... uh, references a a very similar passage to the one we read in verses 16 and 17. Hosea 6, 6 says, "I I want you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. The prophet Hosea speaking, correcting, aligning. And so if we want to follow after God like David, we have to know God's heart like David. And if we want to know God's heart, then we have to allow him to continually cleanse us. The peace that it began to emerge for me this week is that there is, there, is, there is construction and then there is repentance. But repentance doesn't take place outside of correction. Sometimes repentance leads us to the correction. It's just the Lord. The Lord's faithful. He can work forwards, backwards, upside down. Like I'm not going to try to put a, a system on it. But but there's this piece that we we so often will never get to repentance because we just don't want to be incorrect. The Lord began to kind of paint this picture for me this week, and He said, "David is a hammer." I didn't get it either, but. God filled in the rest. A hammer is, is what it is and has been for, for a very long time because it is construction and correction in one tool. This end, now every analogy falls apart eventually. So don't go there. This, 
This is what I'm seeing in David. I'm seeing he, he allowed God to build some things in him. But he never left this corrective piece. Because here's what we have. Try to pull a hammer out of a block of wood with this. You can drive a hammer very efficiently. <laughs> this is heavier than it looks. And, and here's, the, here's the other part, because I thought it was going to fall apart here. What if this was your corrective tool? <laughs> what if this is what you had to get the nail out of the block of wood? How is the block of wood going to look at the end of that? Bad. It's going to be a splintered mess because there's not a tool designed for correction. There's not a tool designed to uproot the thing that is not supposed to be there so that the adjustment can be made and then the rebuilding can start. Take it one further. What if this is what you had to build a house with? You want to try to drive a nail with this? Because all this does is correct. It's got little grooves here, and it's, everything kind of comes to a point so you can get in underneath the thing that needs to be uprooted and, and yank it out without causing damage to the rest of the building material. So why is David a man after God's own heart? It's because he allowed him to build things in him. And then when something showed up, even without his awareness, he allowed God to correct things in him. And he was not afraid to be broken. He was not afraid to be repentant. He was not afraid to say, this is not who I'm designed to be. He was not afraid of being incorrect eventually. Read some more. Like the Psalms are great. And the psalmist, I mean, they're beautiful. They're poetry, man. It's just, and David was, I mean, we're reading Psalm 51. Go read First and Second Samuel. If you, want to see, if you want to get the full picture of the story of the man who, is, who we call, or we have uh, given the moniker, has been given the moniker in Scripture, not we. Scripture is given the moniker, a man after God's own heart. And you will quickly find out that he is not a man after God's own heart because he is correct in his ability to be on point and on time and free of sin. He is a man after God's own heart because he, he is, he's submitted to both ends of the process of construction in his life. So what does this story tell us about God? God desires repentance because he desires you. We read in Psalm 51 that God, a broken and contrite spirit, a, a, a broken heart, that's, that's the sacrifice God desires. I just, I got you guys. It's, he doesn't desire repentance because he is God and he can. He desires repentance because he desires you. And without repentance, the thing separating you from him is, is not going to go anywhere. Without repentance, the thing that gets in, in the way of peace and walking and having a, a, an assurity of who God is, and it just, it just stays there. So his desire for repentance is not a desire to, to, to just do it for the sake of doing it or because he doesn't like that part of who you are. 
who I am. His desire is for the things that stand in the way between him and his creation to be removed completely. And we don't help that process. And so we have to live in this place of repentance. We have to live in this place of repentance. And I'm telling you, you will get exhausted. You will, like, you will be exhausted of repenting when God begins to turn, when this gear begins to fire in your life. But it's, that's the exact moment that the joy of the Lord renews your strength and you rise up and we, and we live in this reality that seems like a total foreign concept to us sometimes. It's because repentance is lacking and we're taking a sledgehammer to a problem that God is, is asking us to, to have a different tool, tool for. And then second, God wants repentance because he wants to build you up of this I am sure. I don't know what, I can't, I can't tell you or predict or promise or like what hit, that's building to. That's unique for each and every single one of your lives. He's building something unique for you because you have a piece of his heart and a piece of his identity and a piece of, of his purpose and his plan in the world. And we get to see that as the church together, but he wants to build you up. When, when the, when the, Message of repentance is, 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 is taught. Man, we just stop at, like, you better repent. You better allow the Lord to break you. Yeah, but so he can build you back up. This is a really handy part of this tool. And with it, Things get joined together and they get locked in and you begin to, I mean, you can build firm. I mean, the possibilities are endless with a flat piece of heavy metal. But if I don't have this and I'm not willing to use it, my structure is going to be a mess because I'm going to start building off on things that shouldn't be there. We're never meant to be a part of the structure. So, all construction requires correction and repentance. 